everybody. Welcome back to The Weird. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Weird. I don't know who did it better. I think they're both up there. I do, too. And I think it's going to be up to the listener to decide which they prefer for every single opening. Well, you know you're going to get Janine's vote because you ate her fruitcake. Yeah, and I still don't understand why you didn't have a bite. Because you didn't give me any. You, it's a, you have it. It went to your address. Yeah, but you could have asked for it. And now, Janine, you know who likes you the most. And I don't know how you got my address, Janine. Little creepy. You know, how did you get that picture of me, Janine? It looks like it's shot through the window of my house. And then you, I don't know what tool you used, but you, it seems like you cut out my eyes. Very odd. Anyway, great fruitcake. Well, you know what? I have friends, too. I have lots of friends on this podcast. You know, Pickles Bigglesworth and I are buying a boat together. Wow. Mm-hmm. Where are you going to go? I don't know. What kind of boat? Like a, a small, you know, cabin cruiser. So not like a raft? No, no, we're buying a boat. You know what you should do with Pickles? I hear birds. Wait, is that at your end, the birds? Yes. That's beautiful. There's no birds down where I live. Yeah, we've got tons of birds. It's wonderful. My neighbors have everything to attract all of them. Well, it's beautiful. I love bird song. Okay, enough foolishness. Oh, we were, I was just going to say something about you and Pickles. What about me and Pickles? You guys should get like a, a Tom Sawyer style raft and go down the Mississippi together. Have you ever seen the Mississippi? Yeah. It's like an invitation to dysentery. Yes. It'd be a, the stories that you two will be able to tell. Yeah, no. Okay. Okay, I've got a lot more to tell you about Skinwalker Ranch. That first episode was only half of my research. That's crazy. Most research I have ever done for this podcast was on um, on Skinwalker Ranch, and I loved it, and I could do more because it's fascinating. Okay, so what we talked about in episode one of this two-parter was the fact that the Sherman family bought the ranch and experienced 20 months of really intense manifestations, everything from lights in the sky to animals, poltergeist activity, the sound of machinery under their feet, Livestock, mutilation, you name it, they experienced it. As I said at the end of the last episode, enter billionaire Robert Bigelow. Who is Robert Bigelow? Well, he, he is a gentleman who had amassed a huge fortune through real estate, like so many other people have. He just played the market and he was smart and made a fortune. He was the owner and is the owner of the Budget Suites of America hotel chain, which if you've ever traveled in the States, the Budget Suites are everywhere. Okay. He has a fascination, a lifelong fascination with the paranormal. Oh. So in March 1996, he used part of his fortune to found the National Institute for Discovery Science, and that's referred to as NIDS. What's, and sorry, what's the acronym for? National Institute for Discovery Science. Okay. Now, what this would be is the first of its kind, a highly trained professional team of scientists who could quickly be deployed to investigate strange paranormal phenomena. So this is like the X-Files. This is basically a group of, of scientific experts to investigate the paranormal. And again, this is the first time I've heard of NIDS. I'm fascinated. So for the first time ever, proven scientific methods and theories would be applied to the study of paranormal activity. 
And the team was very respectable. They had a really good collective resume. It comprised PhD holders in areas such as biochemistry, psychology, astrophysics, and veterinary medicine. And these guys were heavy hitters. Some of them were university professors. They were very well known and respected. So they're real scientists. These are real, yeah, real guys. Most of them are PhDers. They're not like the ghost hunter pseudo-scientists. No, that's not a scientist. These are scientists. These are degree holding. He wanted people who would go in skeptical. Yeah. Okay, good. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. He he wanted intentionally to recruit skeptics who believed in science. And he wanted people who would always try to find a rational explanation for what they encountered so that they would go Mm -hmm. for the rational explanation before anything else. Not like those ghost hunters, right? Which walk around trying to find a cold spot. Yeah, they want to find it, and then they find it, sort of, yeah. These guys believe in science and believe that there's a scientific explanation for everything. He also put together, as part of the NIDS project, an advisory board, and they would be uh, on hand to examine the findings of the field team. So all in all, NIDS had 25 members, the majority of which were accredited scientists. A few members of the field team were also recruited because they were security personnel who had military backgrounds because he felt that that security element was also, would also be needed on the team. So he made sure he had people with good military histories, not people who had you know been discharged from the military because they were gun crazy. Mm-hmm. These are people who were respected. Mm-hmm. The two most famous members of the NIDS team were a physicist named Eric Davis and a biochemist named Colm Kelleher, and he would later document uh, his experiences in a book called Hunt for the Skinwalker, okay. uh, which was co-written with a guy named George Knapp. Oh, George George Knapp is um, the investigative journalist that Bob is good friends with Bob Lazar. Mm-hmm. You got it. And it was in the news recently because he's the one that caught those the UFO stuff on camera. Oh, really? With J- Jeremy Corbell, who did the Bob Lazar documentary, and the U.S. government was forced to admit, yeah, that's a UFO. Wow. They're not saying it's aliens, but it's an unidentified flying object. Well, George Knapp wrote Hunt for the Skinwalker, which was turned into that movie I told you about that I thought was badly edited. But the book mm-hmm. is considered the Bible of Skinwalker Ranch. Oh, I'm going to have to get that. Yeah. Okay. So it is the, it's readily available on Amazon or whatever. The stories of the Skinwalker Ranch became so prevalent in the media that they reached the NIDS team. So Bigelow met with the team. So just get used to NIDS because I'm going to be saying that over and over again. So National Institute for Discovery Science. They needed a a cooler sounding name. It's kind of funny sounding. I know when I first read it, I kind of laughed. Yeah. So he met with the team, Bigelow, in the summer of 1996 to discuss the ranch. And the team agreed that the ranch would be the ideal setting to conduct their investigation. So they got a bunch of the team members together. They met with the Shermans. They listened firsthand to what the Shermans had been experiencing, and they immediately made an offer to buy the ranch. Wow. And what year? This is like... 1997. What year is this now? 1997. Okay. Terry Sherman was not ready to leave. And he was actually, like I said, he was a pragmatic guy and he believed the military was behind it. He didn't believe in any of the paranormal explanations. And he was super angry that he was being forced to abandon his home. Mm-hmm. But his family was terrified, worn down and exhausted. And so he finally agreed to sell the ranch on the condition that he would continue on as the ranch manager. 
and the team agreed because his expertise would be of use to them, and the sale was finalized. So now the ranch is in the home of a paranormal investigation team. Don't you love this? This is crazy. I bet you did not expect it, right? I bet you didn't expect it to go. No, this way. and the fact that it's also Knapp involved as well. Yeah, George Knapp. Who I know, uh, uh, like this is crazy. This isn't real. You're you've made this whole story up. No, nope, I'm not making it up. Actually, if you watch the Hunt for the Skinwalker documentary, Knapp's all the way through it. He's a bit irritating. With the with the Lazar thing, to me, in a weird way, Nap is kind of the weak link. There's something very smarmy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, artificial, like he's a, a, a very much a TV personality. Hi, I'm George Nap. Bob Lazar is what sells that one for me. But yeah, yeah. Nap, he looks like the kind of guy that would go to a strip bar. Seriously. Yeah. You know. Yes. Drop drop some. Definitely money. someone that's looking for publicity, looking to make money off these things. Yeah, yeah and I, I don't discredit his writing or anything. It just I, something about him that rubs me the wrong way. So as part of the deal, they purchased some livestock. Given that many of the reported incidents obviously had focused on cow mutilation, either they were disappearing outright or being mutilated. So they thought they needed some livestock to help document the events. So they bought some from Sherman. So he walked away with a bit more money for that. So if I made a mistake, it's 1996. So in July, 1996, the Sherman family officially left the property. Okay. Okay, good. They're gone. They're gone. It is now in the hands of Nids. So Terry left too now? No. Yeah. I thought he left like with, okay, poor guy. So the NIDS team moved onto the ranch in September 1996, and they remained there in residence studying the manifestations for almost a decade. The team at that particular location comprised four scientists and a number of what they called assistant investigators who would live at the ranch all the time. Unlike Amityville and a lot of other notorious hauntings, the events at Skinwalker Ranch didn't abruptly cease when the family in question left. Right. So this didn't stop just because the Shermans moved out. So that gives it even more veracity, more believability, because it just kept going. But now, the folk at the ranch aren't innocent victims anymore. Now, they're trained professionals who are very eager and willing to experience whatever the ranch is going to throw at them. So they're ready. Mm-hmm. When the team arrived, the first thing they did was construct three large observation towers around the perimeter of the ranch. And each was sur- surrounded and equipped with a metal kennel to house guard dogs. The team believed that dogs were excellent sensors and could provide the team with adequate warning when something was about to happen. Mm-hmm. Interesting note. Shortly after the kennel pens were constructed and the dogs deployed to the three observation tower locations, the team kept finding that the gates had been left open. So they secured the gates with a heavy wire. The wire then disappeared and the gates were once again left open. So the team then secured the gates with heavy locks, which also disappeared and the pens were once again left open. So once they were settled at the ranch, the NIDS team immediately began to conduct a thorough battery of tests. And two areas they focused on was the ranch's water supply, because they wanted to see if the water supply was perhaps contaminated. And they also did a thorough investigation of the plants that grew in the area to determine if any of them had hallucinogenic properties. Oh, that's smart. Yeah. Yeah. So they wanted to make sure that there was nothing there that was causing hallucinations. Okay. Very smart. 
They also investigated for electromagnetic fields, the existence of low or ultra low frequencies, and the presence of fault lines, all which can influence psychology. They can. You know that there's a study that was done in one of uh, Ontario's universities. What's the one at Sudbury? Laurentian. Laurentian University. And they have this special underground bunker oh. where they were they, they've tested frequencies, sound, on people, and they can induce ghosts. Wow. Like people see, they start hallucinating. And it, it's imperceivable to do, our, you know, we, we wouldn't know that that sound is, right? So it's one wow. explanation for ghosts, that it's not ghosts. It's hallucination. That university just went bankrupt. Yeah. Yeah. I've never heard of a university going bankrupt. First time ever that that has uh, happened. Really? In our lovely province. Wow. Yeah. In fact, I think it's the first time it's happened in Canada, period. It's crazy. So these scientists are doing a really thorough job, as you can see. And they've got the equipment and they're looking at every possible scientific reason for what's happening at the ranch. Mm -hmm. So every single test that they conducted, every botanical, every magnetic examination came back negative. There were no initial scientific reasons for anything that was going on. Okay. The remaining months of 1996 passed without really any big event. A few lights were seen in the sky, but nothing really significant occurred. It was at this point that the team began to doubt the accuracy of what the Shermans had been reporting. Okay. Then came 1997. On March the 9th, 1997, Terry and his wife Gwen found the corpse of a black Angus calf about 100 yards from the ranch house. I should note Gwen hated to go near the ranch, but on the day in question, she had agreed to help Terry because they needed to tag the livestock and it was a two-man operation. Mm -hmm. And they had actually tagged that dead calf earlier the day. Shortly thereafter, one of the dogs began to growl and stare in the direction of the house. There they saw the mother of the calf, and she was limping and walking back and forth, confused and in distress, and that was when they had found the calf. Its entire abdominal cavity, including all of its internal organs, had been cleanly, expertly removed. All that remained were the head, feet, ribs, and spine. There was no blood loss in evidence, (laughs) and the ear that they had tagged not more than 45 minutes earlier was gone, and the wound was clean, straight, and precise. It was a Jack the Ripper. Note, the missing meat from the calf would have weighed about 60 pounds, and Terry and Gwen were no more than 300 yards away at any time, and they had heard nothing. So the NIDS veterinary specialist, they had a a guy who specialized in veterinary medicine, was stumped. And he determined after a very thorough examination that no known predator could have performed such a clean and precise evisceration. When questioned, Gwen and Terry both stated that they had been aware at the time of a heavy musk fragrance in the air. The NIDS team also searched for tracks. And when they passed by one of the kennels, they noticed that the dogs were all huddled together quietly inside. And those dogs refused to leave that kennel for many days thereafter. They seemed terrified. Wow. Look, if it's aliens, what the hell are they? How many times do they have to dissect things? They can't be very bright if they have to keep dissecting cows. Maybe they're hungry. Oh, yeah, that's true. Okay. I don't know. Late in the evening, on March the 12th, 1997, the dogs begin to bark and howl, 
at something at the edge of the pasture. Terry and the team immediately jumped into a truck and headed towards the area and they brought equipment with them. As they rounded the corner, the truck's searchlights illuminated a distant grove of cottonwood trees. And there, about 20 feet off the ground, were hovering two yellow orbs. And it was clearly a pair of eyes. Terry grabbed his rifle and he used the scope to pinpoint, yeah, to study the creature. It was enormous and very dark. Instinctively, he fired. The shot rang out in the darkness and the glow of the eyes abruptly went out and a huge thud was heard. The team then returned to the truck and drove in the direction of the cottonwood stand. When they arrived, they could find no sign of any sort of creature whatsoever. And then as they were searching the area, Terry suddenly shouts, I see him! Two more rifle shots echoed through the darkness, and as the rest of the team joined Terry, they heard branches snapping as something huge retreated through the trees moving away from them. Terry swore that what he had seen looked like a huge dog standing and moving quickly on two legs. Hmm. After an extensive search, all that the team could find was a pair of enormous footprints that were 20 feet apart from each other. Those footprints measured 14 inches across and included huge indentations in the shape of claws. Oh, weird. The animals at the ranch continued to act uneasy and scared throughout the subsequent weeks following that event. On April 1st, another calf disappeared. No remains or evidence were ever found. Terry had actually moved four of his prized Angus bulls back to the ranch because it was more convenient for him because he was there all the time to look after the animals at the ranch. And the four bulls collectively were worth $12,000. Now I'm going to tell you one of the most famous events at the ranch. If you read about the ranch, this is one you will come up against time and time again. It's April 2nd. Gwen was once again with her husband to assist him with some of his tasks. She was a rancher as well, so a lot of the ranch stuff she would help him out with, although she hated to go to the ranch, she would because no one else at the ranch really had that expertise. It's kind of like how uh, with me and this show. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, I just snorted. They were headed across the I ranch. Snorted. Okay, you snorted. They were headed across the ranch when they passed... Did I tell you the news? I snorted. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> X3, X3, read all about it. That ranch was snorts. I, I love that voice. Yeah. Uh, okay, sorry. She hates working at the ranch, but she does it because she loves her man. Stand by your man. It's April 2nd, and they're headed across the ranch when they pass the homestead the homestead they're living at. As they drove by, yeah. they see the four bulls in the corral staring at them very intensely. Gwen casually mentioned that, oh my God, losing those bulls would be financially devastating for them. And they were talking about, as they're in the car, they're talking about all the disappearances and how much it's uh, cost them financially. So they go and repair a fence and tag a number of calves that had just been born. Then they're headed back in the direction of the ranch house and they were horrified when they passed by the corral to see that the bulls are no longer there. Oh. Terry and Gwen immediately exit the car and run in the direction of the corral. The gates are still firmly locked, but the bulls are gone. 
Now, adjacent to the pen is a trailer that's been used to house tools and equipment needed for the livestock. It hadn't been used in many years and was pretty run down. When Terry peered through the trailer windows of that structure, which is a trailer, he's astonished to see that the four missing bulls are all standing together, jammed together into that very tiny space quietly. They're completely silent and immobile. They seem to be asleep and yet their eyes are wide open. Terry yells to his wife that he's found the bulls. She rushes over and the bulls immediately seem to break out of whatever trance they were in and immediately begin to panic. They become so agitated that they kick one of the doors down and they all run out of the trailer in a state of panic. It takes Terry and Gwen hours to get the frightened animals back into the corral and calm down. Now, I should note, did some research on this. Bulls are really not cooperative animals. They're not like cows. And it would have been next to impossible to coax even one of them into the tiny trailer. They hate confined spaces. Furthermore, the only way from the corral into the trailer was through a very narrow door, which was wired shut, and a step up of about a foot. So there wasn't even a ramp there anymore. So for the bull to get in, it would have had to step up and go through an impossibly narrow door, which was wired shut. Mm-hmm. So they're in this trailer and the door has been wired shut. It makes no sense. The NIDS team was called. They came to investigate and they also discovered cobwebs on the inside of the door, which further proved that the door had never been opened. The team also discovered that the metal bars of the corral were now highly magnetized to the point that you could put your keys on any of the bars of the corral and they would be, they would just stay there. Hmm. And this magnetic effect eventually dissipated over time. So by the next day it was gone. Some believe that one of the ranch's supernatural entities had read Gwen's mind or overheard their conversation and had moved the bulls into the trailer as a way of intentionally tormenting the couple. So later, that same month, Combe Kelleher, Kelleher, I mentioned him earlier, was exploring some of the tracks that had been found on the southern edge of the ranch when he was suddenly overwhelmed by a musky, overwhelming, sticky, sweet scent. It was not an odor he had ever encountered on the ranch before. His teammate, the, he's a member of the NIDS team, was about 50 yards away from him at the time. Mm-hmm. He suddenly feels a wave of unease. He feels that something is nearby watching him. And later, his teammate confirmed that he had also experienced the odor, followed by the exact sensation of unease and being watched. His partner had mentioned that his compass had also malfunctioned, and the needle had pointed in the direction where the odor seemed to be the strongest and most condensed. The compass returned to its normal function as the odor began to dissipate. In the year that followed, dozens of strange events occurred, which convinced the NIDS team that something was very definitely happening at Skinwalker Ranch. It wasn't hallucinations. It wasn't mass hysteria. There was definitely something afoot. For example, in June, two team members, again, Combe Kelleher and Eric Davis, were on one of their regular stakeouts in the vicinity of the ruined Middle Homestead, the one that I talked about, which was recognized as a major hub of strange activities. Eric is scanning the area with his night vision goggles, and Combe is taking shots of the night sky with a long exposure setting on the camera. Suddenly, the dogs that were with them, that are perpetually with them, 
become frightened and they start to yelp. And it was then that Eric spots a huge black shape moving through the trees. Combe, who was not equipped with night vision goggles, turns his camera to the trees and begins to snap photos. Eric noted that the shape was moving in a northerly direction. Then Eric suddenly shouts, It's got me! It's saying, We are watching you! Eric seems terrified and keeps muttering, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. Finally, the shape begins to retreat and Eric's whimpering subsides. Eric later claims, and remember, he is a scientist, that he felt as though the dark shape had taken control of his conscious mind. Throughout that summer, the orbs of light would appear randomly throughout the ranch. However, They seemed conscious and aware of the presence of the investigators and often seemed to be leading them on fruitless chases across the entire breadth of the ranch as the team desperately tried to photograph the phenomena. So it was almost playing with them in a very mean way. In August of that year, at approximately 3.30 a.m., two team members who were stationed on top of that ridge that I talked about, Skinwalker Mm -hmm. Ridge, were observing that notorious middle homestead one was studying the scene through infrared binoculars and the other was monitoring various scientific instruments they had been at the spot for about three hours and were just about to move to another location when one of them saw light suddenly appear in a field about 150 feet directly below them through the infrared binoculars the object was as bright as the moon however without the binoculars it appeared as a very dull barely visible light But through the binoculars, the team members noted that it was hovering about three feet off the ground and growing in size. One member exclaims, it's it's not a light, it's a tunnel. I can see through to the other side. And then he says, there's something in the tunnel and it's crawling out. He would later describe the creature that exited that tunnel as huge, black and featureless, crawling on its elbows and knees. Just picture that in your head. Something crawling on its elbows and knees. And and, and so th- this hole is in the face of the ridge. No, it's it's a, it's just a, a portal hovering. Uh, it's 150 feet down, hovering three feet off the ground. Okay. I know. Once it had exited the tunnel, it ran up the side of the ridge at a speed that was just not possible for any human being or animal to achieve. Both team members could hear the sounds of rocks being displaced as the creature retreated up the ridge and eventually vanished into the darkness. And at that point, they were both assailed by a sweet, musky odor again. The NIDS team experiences were very similar to those described by the Sherman family, including the mechanical noises emanating from the ground, obviously the livestock mutilations and objects moving from one place to another, and lights in the sky. The team had concluded without any doubt that they were dealing with a precognitive sentient entity. So the entity had the ability to know what was coming. Jeez. I'll leave that there. Alas, by 1998, the frequency of the occurrences began to diminish until they more or less ceased entirely. In 2004, given the lack of phenomena to observe, the team finally decided to vacate the ranch. However, at that point, they still had many unanswered questions. Now, skeptics state that they had failed to effectively gather any evidence. However, 
Like I said, the phenomena seemed aware of them and very intentionally elusive. Equipment would often fail at the worst possible moment. It sounds like university theater. And the phenomena were often too brief and fleeting to capture. The events rarely repeated themselves. And if they did, it would always occur at an entirely different arbitrary location. Now, they did manage to capture a lot of footage of the orbs that were seen through the farm, uh, seen at the farm th- at night. However, those images, and I've seen the footage, just look like vague points of light in a night sky. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't really look like anything. No. That said, there really are too many witnesses to discount the fact that something was and is going on at the Skinwalker Ranch. Mm-hmm. So that's the big chunk of my story. We have the two main components, the Sherman family experience, and then the purchase of the property by Bigelow, and then the decade, more or less, of the NIDS team investigating the ranch. Mm -hmm. And now we're going to get into the theories. And perhaps you're still going to cover this, but did we ever find out why they left Homestead 1 and 2? I'm assuming it was the stuff that we just talked about. I tried so hard to find that information, Dan, and I could not, and I did my due diligence on this one. The only explanation sort of that I could find was the Myers had an original house, moved to the second homestead, and then finally in the 60s built the final third homestead. That's all I can find. I'm just wondering if they were freaked out and they were hoping by moving further away from these things that they uh, that, that would be my assumption. Myers don't say anything. Still. Nothing. Well, I think they're both dead, but they wouldn't say a word. They were completely unreachable about this. There's nothing about them really out there. I remember they said that don't dig. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, So one can only assume that they had been besieged as well. And they were just really glad to get away from there. Or they were in on it. Well, that's very conspiracy of you, but we'll see. Okay. You want me to theory up? Yes. Okay. Number one theory, that it was all an elaborate hoax masterminded by the Sherman family who wanted to get rid of the ranch. But come on, why would you go to such weird lengths? And surely those stories, especially the mutilation ones, would deter potential buyers. Yeah, that's stupid. Because it's ranch land. You're doing a hoax to become famous and to make money. Exactly. And they didn't want that. They're actually very not into making money. Do you know no one knows where they are now? Yeah, so... Not a hoax in that sense. Like the Shermans are, are gone. No one knows where they are. Oh, like shit, like they've, they've disappeared? No, no, they're out there, but they live in complete anonymity. They don't want to be bothered about this. So that doesn't make any sense. Also, sightings of the UFOs, the strange creatures, they had been occurring in that area in the Uinta Basin for hundreds of years. And many of the Sherman's neighbors reported seeing similar events on their properties. If you go online, by the way, the Ute, tribe there are lots of interviews with uh, people who are part of the u tribe will tell you all kinds of stuff about skinwalkers and things that they've seen there's tons and tons and tons of people and the needs team had also had enough faith in what the shermans had recounted to invest millions we're talking of millions of dollars to acquire the property outfit it and conduct a study remember yeah. the nids team were scientists and had been hired because they were skeptical of supernatural phenomena so This idea of the hoax being masterminded by the Shermans doesn't really hold water for me. How about you? Yeah, we've mentioned this a few times. Amityville definitely has a strong odor of hoax, right? Because it was so contained. It was so contained and they've made so much money off the book and the movie Mm -hmm. and subsequent interviews 
That one is really easy to go. You know what? I think it's pure bullshit. This one, I mean, it still could be. Yeah. But it doesn't seem as likely. Well, there's two kinds of manifestations, right? There's like, like you said, Amityville, which is contained and focuses usually on one family or group of people. And then there's like this or Trans-Allegheny or any of the other ones where, no, it's spanned generations and lots of people have seen things. It's not just one family. Mm -hmm. And this is like that. Mm-hmm. Well, or, or the one, the one, the episode we did about what was it called, King Paimon and the House of uh, Two Hundred Demons, mm-hmm. I believe is what it was called. My God, that was such a long time. It was my show, and I don't remember. Well, you can't remember every detail of every show. But that that was another interesting one because yes, it, it occurred to one family, but there were so many witnesses that weren't connected to them, yeah, and government officials who saw like the child walking on the ceiling and stuff. That still freaks me out. I love that image. That's different, right? I, I think those ones are uh, makes them for, you know, fascinating stories. All right. So I don't think it's a hoax. Okay. The most popular and abiding theory is that the ranch was chosen as a site for extraterrestrial visitation. Mm-hmm. That extraterrestrial visitors to Earth had chosen it. That said, nothing extraterrestrial has ever been found at the ranch. There's nothing, no evidence of any kind. So... Mm-hmm. Could the indigenous legends be true? Does an entity known as the Skinwalker really exist and occupy that particular parcel of land? Much of what's happened and much a lot of what I've described to you would support that theory. But the sightings, strange craft, portals, shapes in the sky, lights, all of that doesn't fall into the uh, Skinwalker category or the Skinwalker legend doesn't support that at all. The animal sightings or creature sightings would, but not the science fiction-y elements, unless this entity is grown with the times and is able to screw with your head and make you think you see things that aren't there. And it, it's a, you know, I don't know. Well, the skinwalker is also malevolent and nobody was really hurt. Yeah. Livestock was hurt, but the skinwalker is an evil entity. Yeah. It's bad and nothing really bad has happened, just upsetting. So another one, this is a very popular one because, you know, we all love a good conspiracy theory. The military is behind it all. Mm-hmm. Terry Sherman, as I said, he himself believes that this is the explanation. It's possible that the military chose the ranch to experiment with new technologies and they used the poor Sherman family as guinea pigs, you know, just like the mad gasser. Is there a base close by? Yeah, interrupted me. Just like the mad gasser of Mattoon. Well, you don't stop talking. I can't get a word in edgewise. Well, this is a big episode. So what did you want to know? There's a military base nearby? No. Well, that's all you had to say. It's a terrible, it'd be a terrible location for a military base. But they think that they're doing experiments, just like the Mad Gasser. I think the Mad Gasser was an experiment. I, well, there's another one, right? And there's evidence that supports that the government has done bad shit oh, yeah. to people, right? So... So I should tell you now that the NIDS team had used a number of psychic remote viewers to examine the ranch. Now, this isn't hooey science. You got to remember that the CIA and a lot of other respected organizations have used remote viewers very successfully in their investigations. What's a remote viewer? A remote viewer is a psychic person who just goes to a location and picks up whatever they can pick up. Okay. One of the viewers that were brought to the ranch noted an energy field on the southwestern section of the ranch, which was very disturbing. Another claimed that that second homestead that keeps coming up, which was the big hotspot for paranormal events, contained very strange energy vortices. 
A third viewer was asked to describe what had happened when a calf had been mutilated, and he stated that the mutilation had been carried out by an interdimensional drone that was connected to the military. Three of the five viewers stated that they could sense an underground base with electronic equipment and wires that were embedded in the ground itself. They also stated that what was going on was somehow associated with an aircraft carrier and Navy personnel. Hmm. I know. The, it, the aircraft carrier threw me because it's so far from the water. Yeah, but the jets could fly mm-hmm. quite far. And the Navy. Why would it be the Navy? Well, they have their own branch of jets and stuff, right? Yeah, but why would the Navy be experimenting in that way? Makes no sense. But but what I mean is, like, the Navy has their own jets, right? But no one has ever seen a jet in the vicinity of the ranch. Nothing like, no military. No, but they could be, yeah, I don't think this is true, but they could be um, playing with drones, special drones. You know, this is kind of reminds me of when I was in senior high school and university, and I don't know if you had this experience too, where everything sort of starts to come together. Like, all the subjects you study start to intermarry. Especially, I remember, senior university taking theory courses. Oh, wait, you said university, not high school. Well, it started for me in in high school. Like, I started seeing parallels in history and English. Certainly in university, where you're starting to see science merge with theatrical theory. And philosophy. Or psychology or philosophy and, and all these things. It's interesting with this episode, I feel like this is that point where things are starting to merge. So some of the things that we talked about in past episodes, we've been able to bring up a lot in this because there's so many ties back to it. The experiments that we've talked about with Area 51, perhaps, you know, they're playing with alien spacecraft or new technology. It's interesting you mentioned the F-117 because that that definitely exists, right? And with the F-117, they saw something that looked like that. Perhaps they did see a new prototype of a stealth fighter, right? Possible. One of the remote viewers claimed that alien beings uh, that spoke in a strange, not Earth-like language were actually working in concert with humans. They're working together. But again, this doesn't account for how far back the stories go. The stories predate any kind of military technology or organization to this extent. It also doesn't explain the nature of much of the observed phenomena. doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. The animals, that kind of thing. It doesn't, the military explanation doesn't work there for me. Mm. Some believe that the ranch is an interdimensional gateway that's used by otherworldly beings who routinely access our planet. Some even go so far as to claim that the ranch is one of a handful of locations from which, and I've said this before, all supernatural phenomena on the planet originates. It's like a supernatural gate. Yeah, like Watergate. But that's really fucking out there. That's too out there for me. So, I can tell you this. This is kind of like the epilogue. The Shermans now live in Idaho, and that's all we know about them. They don't talk about what happened. Bigelow finally sold the ranch to a company called Adamantium Real Estate in 2016, so not that long ago, on the condition that research at the site would be allowed to continue. Immediately following the sale, paranormal activity at the ranch once again spiked. Hmm. NIDS was disbanded in 2004 and replaced with the Bigelow Aerospace Advanced Space Studies Organization, which still exists to this day. This guy has to hire someone to help him name his company. It doesn't matter. He's fucking amazing. 
The world needs more people like this. Bigelow has been supporting now the study of life after death. That's his new area of focus. And in 2020, he founded the Bigelow Institute for Consciousness Studies, which has offered a reward of $1 million to anyone who can prove, without any doubt, the existence of life after death. Hmm. There is no more public access to the ranch. Large gates block the entrance and warning signs are posted everywhere. And that is the state of the ranch as we speak now. It's got big gates up and you can't just walk in. So Dan, that is part one and part two. I'm finished of the Skinwalker Ranch. What do you think? What an epic story, man. That was amazing. It's a good one, eh? You know, and it's one of those ones you so bad. I so badly want it all to be so true. Me too. And, you know, we have, there's no way to know that. So I want to go so bad. Apparently you can arrange a visit. Really? Yeah. A lot of people go. I do that. I've said this story before, like going through, you know, the most haunted building in Ottawa, the the prison mm-hmm. and spending lengthy amounts of time in death row and not experiencing anything. Like, I I'm, I think I'm like you. I, I would love to believe. I want to believe that there's uh, these things out there. Me too. But I've never experienced anything in my life that would make me think that, you know. I have a little bit. We discussed it earlier in the show, and I'm not going to go into it tonight because we're like we're into 47 minutes already, and I don't want to exhaust the crowd. I kind of like, for the sake of the audience, like to keep it around an hour because I'm a podcast fanatic, and I find podcasts that are around an hour long are perfect for me for consumption. So perhaps I'm being selfish, but that's you are selfish, what I do. and I'm a big Dan Carlin fan who sometimes hits four hours. Yeah, but he's a star. Yeah, I know. He's a star. I, I like to keep it under an hour. I just think that's respectful. He's my favorite. He's my absolute favorite. Dan, if you're listening, I like you. You're not listening. A lot of the podcasts I am really fond of go over too long. It is a common problem with a lot, and we are cognizant, good listener uh, of your time and trying to be concise, right? Which is why we tell so many uh, stories that have nothing to do with the episodes in hand. I Like I said, I believe that they're... Is something going on in the world, but I don't. I don't want to discuss that today. Maybe we'll have a discussion about that. I'll devote an episode to that somewhere up the line. Is this your theory that Duran Duran is behind a cabal that's running the world? I can't have a serious conversation with you. What do you like with your wife? How does she get you to talk seriously? Uh, well, she's a robot, so I program her to accept pretty much everything coming out of my mouth. Anyway, the, you know what my favorite part of this whole story is. My favorite part, and I wish someone would make a movie about it or something, is NIDS, that Institute for Discovery Science. Well, I'd be like the X-Files. Yes, and they didn't do just Skinwalker Ranch. They weren't just set up just to investigate the ranch. They did a whole bunch of other investigations. So I would love to access what they've done and make a movie or series about it. I'm sure it's fucking fascinating. Plus, it would also touch on probably a lot of famous hauntings and events that took place in North America. There's no books about them? They they didn't... uh publish anything i haven't done research on that because i think i did enough for this episode i don't know i mean you could have done more it was a lot i had to do just separate research on bigelow and he's still there he's only 75 years old he's out there wow it's huge i well i'm glad you made the decision to do this this way because i you know i have talked before sometimes we cut we do edit quite a bit right of our stories we try to keep them as you you mentioned concise I'm glad you decided, really proud that I agreed, 
to uh, make this a two-parter. No, no, I'm, I'm joking. No, I know you but are. But this was great. Well, do you know what? When I was writing it, I had no idea. And then I stopped writing and I looked at my page count on Google Docs. And I was like, holy shit, I'm on page 11. And my average page count for an hour episode is five to six pages. So I realized, yeah. uh-oh. But... I had to do the topic justice, and I just let it go where it had to go. Well, don't worry. Next week, I'm going to disappoint everyone with a very short and boring story. That's okay. There has to be a yin and yang. So I'm going to say this. I'm not going to abandon the Skinwalker Ranch thing. You and I have talked about if the pod really you know, gains traction, and we get a good anchor, and we're you know eventually maybe making some money, mm-hmm. I want to go. There's so many places you want to go. No, there isn't. There's two so far. Trans-Allegheny. Trans-Allegheny for sure, because you can go. It's easy to go. And I would like to go here because this is like one of the top paranormal hotspots in the entire United States. I'd like to visit Robert the Doll because it's in the Keys. That's easy. Yeah, but you just walk in. Keys. It's just in the museum. But Utah is also gorgeous. And it would be amazing. Yeah, I would like to see that. That'd be pretty I'd cool. also like to see the Amityville house. I thought you did. Yeah, but I'd like to see it again as an adult. Okay, yeah. There's a lot of things, but this one is definitely on my list. Um, If we ever get to the point where we're doing Patreon and shit like that, but we're not. So it might never happen. But if it does, I would love to go to Trans-Allegheny. And I would like to go here because there's something to see here. Apparently, if you go to the second homestead, that one, which is the hotspot, apparently when you're there, you feel it. You just feel it. Something Something is there. There's something here that is more than just trees and earth and air. Interesting. Yeah. Very cool. But NIDS was an unexpected gift. I had no idea that existed. Uh, I should have known. I wish there was more about it, but there you have cool. it. Cool. You happy? Very cool. Very happy. I'm happy too. I loved this story. I think it's one of my favorite that I've done so far. Any administrative stuff that you have to share with the people out there? No, just the usual. If you enjoy which you are listening to, please share with your friends and family. Shout the good word of the weird from the rooftops. Uh, We don't charge anything for you to listen to this show. All we ask is that you do that for us. If you uh, can subscribe to us through your uh, podcast platform, that's always a great thing to do if you like what you're listening to. And rate us if possible. In terms of rating, the only one I think you can is on iTunes, but... I don't know. I don't know. I'm not into ratings. What I am into is just people enjoying it, which I guess is ratings. Oh, listen to you. I just want people You're to be happy. so altruistic. That's why we do this, right? That's why we do this. I'm in it for the big bucks. And Janine, keep sending cake. Yeah, Janine, that was great. Thanks so much. I look forward to your next surprise. Okay, that's it for me. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody!